Hi everybody, this is Bridget Nielsen. This is Jesse Ventura. Hi, this is Luther Ricknow. Hi, this is Dee Wallace, and you're listening to Cinema Geekly. You're listening to Cinema Geekly. You're listening to Cinema Geekly. <laughs> you're listening to Cinema Geekly. Keep listening, baby. Coming to you in hypersonic ultra-maximum high definition from the depths of the interwebs and straight into your ear holes, it's the Cinema Geekly Podcast. It's time for the Cinema Geekly Podcast, episode 223. It is Anthony and Glenn, and we are back to talk more movie news and reviews. Uh, well, there is some movie news, I guess, uh, but some of it, I think, well, I, I think the biggest news is stuff that we're probably going to be talking about in our next episode of the podcast, which is a, a mailbag episode of the podcast, but... Uh, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it more there, but obviously, uh, SAG-AFTRA joining the writers, uh, in striking is, uh, gigantic news that has never happened in our lifetime, Glenn. Um, but it is, it is happening here, uh, and its effects will be, uh, widely felt. In fact, they're already being widely felt, but I feel like, um... This is better. Uh, we'll go into it in more detail in the next episode of the podcast when we talk about those things specifically. Um, did you see the trailer for the creator? It yes, is, I did. Okay, I was wondering if because this is the next movie from Gareth Edwards, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how to feel about it. I like him. And I like his movies, uh, and I love like his sense of scale and scope. Although I didn't really get a lot of that from the trailer. Uh, I don't know. It felt like a really good trailer to me. In that, when it was done, I'm like, "Oh, I want to see this." I think, but like when I think about it some more, it's also like uh, we've had a lot of these. Humans versus robots. Story. I really hope whatever he's doing with it is something that is off the beaten path from what we normally see in movies like that. Because uh, I feel like once you've seen a hundred of them, you've seen a hundred of them. And I don't want this to be like the 101st Humans versus Robots. Uh, you know is AI evil or did we build our own, you know, did humans cause our own destruction in robot form? I feel like we've just seen that a bunch, but I thought the trailer was really well made, like in a way that made me really want to see it, but I'm kind of hoping we're going to get like a unique twist on the story we've heard a million times. I don't know. Did you have any feelings when you watched it? Yeah, I uh, like you kind of said. It's like I feel like I've seen this movie before. Yeah, 
And, um, yeah, I mean, it, I guess it's all in all, in how it's executed, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, uh, there was a little bit of intrigue, but it was just kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Not, I mean, even the concept of they've created a super weapon, but the super weapon is a child. Yeah. I've seen Fallen Kingdom. I know how this goes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, it, we can't hurt a child. It's a child. You know, it's innocent and sweet. Um, I feel like we've seen that before. I'm hoping there's going to be a, 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 a twist on this or whatever. You know, maybe, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. But I, I the trailer did its job marketing-wise. Like, I want to see it, but I have no idea how it's going to turn out. Um, you were just telling me, I guess this is news as well, Glenn. You were just telling me off air that uh, the early reviews are in for Barbenheimer. And it sounds like good news across the board for both of them. Um, I was a little surprised at... I wasn't shocked that Barbie was going to be reviewed well because I feel like despite the marketing for that movie, there's more underneath the surface than what was shown in the marketing for it. And I feel like that's probably going to be backed up in the movie. Um, the Oppenheimer score though was, I think you said it's, it's now an, an average 9.0, uh, yeah. Out of 10 on rotten tomatoes, which is crazy. And this is not with a small sample size of reviews either. You said it's over a hundred reviews. It is at exactly a hundred now. That's not a small sample size for Rotten Tomatoes reviewing. I mean, the the number of reviews will go up, and I'm sure that that average will drop a little bit. But when it's that high with a hundred reviews in, that is saying something. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm actually just like I'm kind of just skimming through it because I always like to go through the 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 rotten ones. Yeah, right, just to get an idea of. Okay, how, like how negative are these? Yeah. Uh, and, and did uh, you find anything interesting? Um, I'm just like kind of scrolling through the blurbs that they posted. So like one of them's a rotten, right? And it, they mm-hmm. gave it a C plus, right? Well, like obviously that's not a rotten score. No. You know? So I just always find it funny sometimes with some of these rotten, especially like. You know, we always say you want to look at the aggregate, right? Well, if the aggregate's a 9.0, and uh, even if you got six negatives, it's like, well, then what? How bad are these negatives? And just scrolling through the negatives, it's just like, oh, you know, it's, you know, has some of the same problems that most Nolan movies do, blah, blah, blah. You know, nothing like, you know, extreme. Yeah. And then I'm just like scrolling through the positives and it's like the first six are like, this is Nolan's best movie so far. <sighs> that is some high praise. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you know, not that I don't think either of us are like super big Nolan fans. Mm-hmm. I, I generally enjoy his movies and I'm, but I'm pretty adamant that my favorite is prestige. I think that is my favorite as well. Yeah. I think you could say his best movie <clears throat> Especially as I've had it to marinate, is probably Dunkirk. It's probably his best movie, but it's not okay. my favorite. Yeah, it's not my. Movie. I don't own it or anything, but I liked it. Yeah, um, I, I do think it's probably his best. You know, as far as like being a director, it's probably his sure. best. But I just I fucking love the Prestige. Yeah, the Prestige is so movie. good. Yep. Just yep. 
those final five minutes just I could watch that twist every time and it never gets old, which is saying something about a twist. For sure. Um Okay, so and then Barbie's like an eight point oh and yeah. it, you know, real good. You know, the the reviews seem to be like more solid. Like it's it's fun. It's kind of like, oh, thank God. Basically, it sounds like okay, they delivered on what the trailer is. Like okay, well then that's all I ask. You know. Yes. Um. So, I think that's probably it for the news. I'm sure there's other news, but um, anything that really stood out to me, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head so well because the other news is going to be in a different episode that's true there is we are going to talk about question (laughs) yeah we are going to talk about that news uh in an upcoming episode of the cinema geekly podcast but uh before we get to that let's talk about all of the the movie films that we have been watching let's catch up a little bit so for me i'm going to backtrack a little bit i finally watched john wick chapter four and it took me a minute to sort of reset and remember what happened in John Wick Chapter 3. I I have loved all of the John Wick movies. Um, I still think the first one is the best one, but uh, I haven't hated any of them. Although, I, I did... Mm, I did struggle with this one. It did come around in the end, uh, but there, there was the middle section of this movie. Not that it's bad or not that I thought there was anything wrong with it, but you and I were sort of chatting before we started recording and the, uh, there's not a lot of meat on the, the John Wick story, but like on the bone of the John Wick story, there's not a lot of meat to chew on. Uh, they are, and the kind of never has been really, uh, it's, you know, John Wick is a former super assassin, who had retired from the game and his wife died tragically and some assholes killed the dog that his wife got him as a present and he just went on a revenge kick. And like, that was the story. Uh, But because that did so well and because money, they made more movies and they had to come up with more reasons for him to still be in the game uh, and to continue to do the things that he's doing. And the story of John Wick chapter four is pretty bare pretty bare bones uh he wants out they won't he can't get out cuz he's kind of stuck in and everyone is coming to kill him so he's going to kill all of the top people he can kill like in the super secret assassin organization until he can get to the person who can grant him the ability to to leave essentially he just wants to win his freedom and has to kill a whole lot of people to do that um and of course, uh, the person that he has to kill at the end is a—it's—it's uh, uh, it's straight out of professional wrestling storytelling. Glenn, uh, he's a—he's a big coward who doesn't want to face John Wick. So uh, he agrees to face John Wick in a duel, where if John Wick beats him, uh, then he will grant John Wick his freedom, etc., etc., etc. But uh, since he's a big coward and knows that John Wick will kill him, he basically tries to put like just a, a mountain of humans between him and John Wick. And John Wick has to just make his way, in some cases, literally uh, up a metaphorical mountain 
<laughs> to like uh, to like get to him. Uh, some of the action is breathtakingly spectacular, but at times it just felt like almost like a a numb uh, blur of like gunshots and reloads and hit and kick sound effects. Um, while it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination, um, it did get a little, it, be, it became a little too much in places. Um, it sort of just felt like it would never end. Um, there's not a lot, famously not a lot of dialogue in these movies. Um, there is a really spectacular, um, if you've ever played any like top down video games, uh, there's a really spectacular long shot of like a top down thing of John Wick going from like room to room in this location, killing people. And it's actually really awesome. And I wish that they would do more inventive camera work and stuff like that in these movies. Uh, and I was feeling like, oh man, this is not as great as I was led to believe. But by the end, uh, when they swung around to the third act, I did, went back to being excellent again. And uh, it came close to dropping below a four at points for me. But by the end of the day, I ended up giving this a four and a half. I still think it's excellent. Uh, but they were really towing the line or not towing the line. They were really walking the, uh, the tightrope for me on this. Like it, it nearly became tedious, uh, at points. So, uh, if you're looking for a good story, this is not for you. Uh, but if you're looking for really cool action, this is, this definitely works. Uh, it's great, but, um, yeah, it, it, I, I'm curious to know what you would think about it now, uh, having heard all of that. Uh, but for sure, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's definitely up the storyteller's alley for sure. But they never have been the John Wick movie. So well, the thing with like the first one was there is intrigue because there's world building in it, mm. right? But they give you just enough. Yeah. They don't show you everything, but they give you just enough like, oh, this is really cool. Mm -hmm. And I think you're, it's kind of like the Hitchcock thing of, you know, don't show everything. Yeah. You know, leave it up to your imagination. Yep. And it's not that what they've shown us is bad, but it's just not as interesting as, as the original I had. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, there's, there's just no intrigue. Yeah. Like the only thing that's been really I, that I found like intrigue was like uh, was uh, uh, Lawrence Fishburne is like the Bower King, like that whole network of his people. And, yeah, and you know how how they find everything out on the streets by how they dress and stuff like that was cool. But yeah. other than that, I it's like not eh, like, this isn't as intriguing. And I did not like him in this movie either. Um, it just felt like they put him in places to put them in places. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, so, I mean, some of the, some of the stuff is incredible and some of it bordered on tedium for me, but at the end of the day, I still really, really liked it. So there is that, uh, things that I didn't really, really like, uh, transformers rise of the beasts. Um, I believe this is supposed to be a follow up to the Bumblebee movie. I mean, it appears to be in every sense because 
the transformer design is uh concurrent with that we saw in bumblebee but um they took a big step back uh it's not like this is like the michael bay films where it's actively bad in some cases but this was boring it was just not (laughs) fun and uh, and it kind of sucks because Anthony Ramos is the the human star of this movie, and I like him, uh, and he's not bad in this movie or anything like that. But uh, this is, you know, it's I don't know uh, the 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 Michael Bay Transformers movies were the first one had some charm, and then they lost all of that in the second movie and the third movie and the fourth movie and the fifth movie. Did they make five of those Bay movies? I know they made four. Uh, I don't remember if they the made a Transformers? fifth one. Transformers? Yeah. Well, if you count Bumblebee, right, then it would be... There's three Shia LaBeoufs, two Marky Marks. Okay. So that's five. Bumblebee, and then this one. Okay, this is the seventh Transformers movie. Uh, I've only seen the first, I think. No, I've seen, I saw, it's Age of Extinction. I think that's the last one I saw. I've I saw seen, the first Marky Mark. Because I remember us making yeah. fun of him for Marky Mark playing this hardcore Texan with his crazy Boston, Boston accent, accent, making fun of his uh, daughter's boyfriend, who's from Ireland. Yes. Uh, who happens to have that card that tells you that it's okay for their relationship to occur because of the age of consent. Uh, uh, I did watch the first three Shia LaBeouf movies. I've never made it through the Marky Mark Transformers movies. I've never seen them all the way through. I couldn't. I just, I couldn't make it through. And then Bumblebee happened and it was a breath of fresh air. I don't know. Have you still not seen it? No, I haven't. Okay. It's definitely a breath of fresh air compared to the other ones. Well, it's ones. the guy who's done those, uh, I forget their studio name, but like Paranorman. Yeah. And, um, my gosh, what was that one that they made that was like a a samurai movie? Mm, that doesn't ring a bell. Something in the three strings. I can't remember the character. Oh, Kubo. Name. Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That one was good. Yep. Uh, so it was a, a, a prequel that took place in the 80s. Uh, it starred Haley uh, Steinfeld. She was great. The movie was charming. John Cena was the bad guy, and he was like a fun, scene-chewy bad guy. The uh, the Transformers stuff they showed, like they showed like the war on Cybertron. It actually looked cool. Uh, everything about it was way better they than back Orson Welles through AI. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everything about it was superior to like the Michael Bay movies in every way to me. Like it was, you know, it wasn't like some, you know, you again, a Transformers movie, you're not going to it for the, the excellent story, but uh, what I want out of those movies is I want it to feel fun. I want to care about the characters. And that movie had, you know, it had those things. It had charm. It had fun. It had some heart. Uh, Haley Steinfeld's performance was really good. John Cena was fun. Like, it was just a fun time. And this movie felt it missed out on all of those things. Um, I don't think the same guy's directing it if he, if it is the same person directing it, like that's crazy that it dropped so far from one film to the other. 
Um, but they jumped ahead a decade. It's in the 90s now. There is no mention of the previous character or any of the events or any of that stuff that happened. So even though this is supposedly a follow-up, it feels like a, just a complete disconnect uh, from that. Um, and uh, it features like the, the animals, the Transformer animals, uh, whatever. But they've already had movies with Transformer animals in them, but I guess these are different ones. I don't know. I'm not up on my Transformers lore, Glenn, but uh, well, they're, they're the uh, they're trans they're beast transformers, not the ah, not dino transformers. Gotcha. Gotcha. Of course. I think I, I really have no idea. What yeah. the is. Uh, well, isn't Ron Perlman like the gorilla one? Yeah. Optimus Primal. Yes. We'll talk about Ron Perlman later. <laughs> yeah, we will. Uh, so there's a thing that a bad guy wants. And the good guys are trying to stop the bad guy from getting the thing, because if they get the thing, it's the end of the world. And then they stop the bad guy from getting the thing, and yada, yada, yada. A million times we've seen it uh, in the, the Transformers movie, and in other movies, obviously, too. But, like, this movie, I feel like, is only going to be enjoyable for you if you only care about seeing Transformers fighting other Transformers. And if that's all you want, then you'll probably have fun with this, but... This didn't have the heart or the 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 cutesiness or the story or there's just no charm. It just feel it it, it felt like uh like the Michael Bay movies, but like absent the creepiness that you know only a Bay script can bring. Uh, so it didn't have that, and it didn't have the overt patriotism. And it didn't have, like, the male gaze look at any of the female co-stars or whatever. Uh, but it did have, like, the Transformers versus Transformers and nothing else of consequence really happens or matters. Uh, so that was in there. And uh, that just left me kind of disappointed. I, and I felt really hopeful going into this because I loved Bumblebee so much. But I gave this a two and a half. It was just there. It just exists. Uh... How about, because I've been talking for forever, Glenn, how about you talk to me about Mission Impossible uh, Dead Reckoning, and then I'll talk about Indiana Jones. Uh, it's complicated. Okay. It, I, as, okay. As a singular movie, I mm -hmm. liked it a lot. If I think okay. of it as a franchise, mm -hmm. I have a lot of problems with this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Spoiler warning ahead. Yeah, huge spoiler warning. I and I'm not going to go into specifics, but I they he's always he's kind of had a love interest in these last few movies with, and I think I've already told you like you just need to watch three on. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say you got to watch three on is because three is when he has a wife. Yeah. His wife kind of falls to the wayside after three, but she's popped up here and there yeah and it's more of like she's civilian she can't be in this world he's got to walk away to protect her you know, yeah that kind of they thing, don't right? let you forget about her though yeah okay um and she's clearly moved on in her personal life that you know that kind of stuff sure it's more mutual so now he's got girlfriend spy and in this one and i was so worried by just what they show in the trailers now he's got new love interest, new femme fatale, which is played by Haley Atwell. So okay. even though Rekka Ferguson, who's served this role well, mm -hmm. um, well, now we got to juice it up 
let's let's mix it up. So now we gotta have a new love interest and all that entails on how you get to that new love interest. Sure. And it just that alone just uh, irritated me so much because I do think like with Tom Cruise like it, it's interesting. It's hard to feel like he ever really has a love interest because it doesn't feel like he emotionally connects to others that way. Yeah, this is the famous Tom Cruise conundrum. Yeah, which I think worked really well in Edge of Tomorrow because it didn't yeah. feel so much like a romantic thing. It was like a true equal partnership. Right. Um, you know, platonic type of love, which was kind of nice to see in an action movie. Yeah, I don't care and that movie they, ruled. Yes. Yeah, and I don't care that they kiss. I don't. To me, that doesn't feel like... Uh, if right. that's what they were going for as the director, well, I'm sorry you failed and it works much better the other way. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that didn't feel like a romantic. It was more of like a goodbye, you know? Yeah. I love you, but you know, we're not going to bone afterwards kind of thing. For sure. Um, And so with this, I will say him and Haley Atwell, I thought they had amazing chemistry. I thought she, her character was a really good femme fatale. Okay. So again, as a singular thing, as a movie, I thought, it was fine, um, but as a whole, if you look at this, you know, basically, I just say from three onward, it's just like, oh, man, really? Like, we're having to reboot this kind of love interest again? Like, mm -hmm. is that where you think it's getting st stall or stale in the narrative is their story? Because, like, not to me, like, to me, Rick Ferguson's been, like, the best part uh, ever since she showed up in five, like yeah. I thought she's been my favorite character. So like why are we having to, or I guess the term is fridging. So I don't uh, know, like why yeah. we're having to ice her out now. Yeah. Um, and it's just, yeah, just it really, it really bugs me. So it's like, I'll, it'll probably make my top 10 list because the action's fun. And I've said this about the other mission impossible movies. I like it because like, yes, Tom Cruise, but action star does these stunts. But I also like that his character just genuinely fucks up. Like he he's not invincible. He will lose a fight. He'll he de there's some great pratfalls. I mean, I think they show it in the trailer of the fourth one when he's doing the skyscraper jump and he goes to jump to the room. Well, he actually hits his like face on the bar that's like holding the windows <laughs> together mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so like falls and they have to like drag him up so like there's always stuff like that in those movies to where like he kind of screws up or gets hit they kind of like the uh i know nathan fillion always said like he'd like to treat his stunts like harrison ford did which is like harrison ford was just the best at sh getting the shit beat out of him yes and that's like kind of to makes it where you root for your hero versus like the rock and vin diesel have it in their contracts that they can't lose a fight yeah. you know like that's just way less intriguing of a character yeah so it's just all that stuff is there but it's just just the the, the narrative of like just knowing that they feel like they have to change and add a new love interest it's just like it was just so infuriating to me that it was just so hard to get over uh even though like i said i thought their chemistry was excellent i thought they played off each other real well but it's just in the mm. context of this franchise ugh, just made me so mad didn't work so yeah. like as a store and it's not i would just say even story-wise it's not as good as the last two i think I think Ben's favorite has been Fallout, which was the last one, which yeah. is probably my second favorite. I think Rogue Nation's still my favorite. Okay. So, I don't know. I give it like a 
like a, a really soft four. Okay. Um, I understand people liking it, like, and giving it a lot of praise, but it just, man, it, they just, they did the cliche thing that just really, man, it irritates me. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just been in my head ever since I've seen it, where I'm, as, as much fun as uh, Uncharted 2 Among Themes, uh, <laughs> uh, Honor Amongst Thieves, yeah. uh, train scene is as fun as that was to see in live action. Yeah. It was just like, it's just always in the back of my head of like, God damn it, you guys are doing this, aren't you? Mm-hmm. So, mm. yeah. Um, okay. This is what it is. So, <clears throat> I, uh, I saw Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And uh, this... Is, Are the last ten minutes as bonkers as uh, as I was told? I mean, I know what nah, happened. No, nah. so as I no, oh, okay. I mean, I mean, it is crazy, but like I heard, it's like it's crazy, but it's not like a nu- nuke the fridge or aliens. It's just it's fun and just wild that they did it. Yeah, it's it's not even close to like interdimensional beings or the honestly the most egregious thing in that movie was the fridge, which. Uh, is right up there with the time in Temple of Doom where he and what's her name and Short Round jumped out of a plane in a fucking inflatable oh. raft <laughs> yeah, and didn't yeah. die on impact. Yeah. Um, that, well, you know, snow is soft. So. Yeah, snow is soft. <laughs> like, it's like water in Minecraft. You can jump from any height, and as long as you land in it, you won't die. Yeah. Um, it's just... Uh, those are the most egregious things in Indiana Jones movies by far. And the ending of this movie, which I will talk about, uh, is it's wild and crazy, but it's really no more wild and crazy than the Ark of the Covenant having God in it or uh, the thousands of year, like the thousands of year old night or whatever. And the whoa, 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 whoa. We don't know that God is in the Ark of the Covenant. That's true. It might not be God. It could just be. We don't know exactly. What we actually don't know about. what was in there. That's true. <laughs> we just know that whatever it was melted a bunch of Nazis. Mm-hmm. And that's all Indiana Jones knows. So there's always a little bit of uh, that's true. doubt he can have. Because he doesn't know what happened. He just heard screams and yeah. wind was swooshing around yeah. uh, his face. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of Nazis were melted. Yeah. He doesn't know that like <laughs> that he drank from like the grail. He just knew that he poured some water out of a cup and it healed some wounds. Yeah, that crazy things that he can't explain with a guy cosplaying. Yeah, yeah, it could have just been a really old guy who was there like ten minutes before they got there. He doesn't. Yeah, know. or just they take shifts, right? It was now it's his turn to <laughs> yeah. to watch the Grail because his his dad did it and his grandpappy he just did believed it. him. Yeah, yeah, he just believed that he was a knight. Um, so yeah, uh, this movie is in fact my third favorite Indiana Jones movie. Uh, however, it is a distant third place. Like there's, there's a, there's last crusade and there's Raiders. And then there's just a, just a big chasm, uh, between those movies and, uh, dial of destiny and temple of doom and crystal skull, which are in that order. Uh, descending crystal skull is still easily the worst of the indie movies. Um, did you like Mutt dying in Vietnam? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, actually, Harrison Ford played that scene very well. Uh, but I do think it's funny that they absolutely just poochied Shia LaBeouf's character. Uh, <laughs> just killed him off screen. He's got to go back to his home planet. Um, but the way that they 
the way that they got rid of that and and filled in for it here was actually really well done um because it didn't feel it didn't feel uh contrived like the way it came up in the movie uh because once uh indiana jones discovers what the dial is that uh that they're looking for and the dial itself by the way spoiler is not a time machine um it is a device that uh archimedes built uh in like the 200 bcs or whatever um now this is just as crazy as it being a time machine but Somehow, some way, it is a device. It's essentially a compass that points in the direction of tears in space time that one can go through that would take you through time. Um, but it's merely just a device. It sounds that like that uh, sounds like God of War stuff. Yeah, it is kind of God, which of is War, also uh, going to be talked about in the next episode. <laughs> well, uh, all these callbacks, all these callbacks Glenn, on purpose as well. Uh, yeah, so that is the point. I mean, so that's what it does. But naturally, you know, there Indiana Jones finds this to be ridiculous. Despite all the shit he's seen, he's still not open minded enough to be like, oh, maybe it is. Maybe it really does do that. Um, he's not really buying it, but they are having this conversation of like, if you could go back in time, what would you, you know, what would you change or whatever? And that's how he brings up, like, he'd tell his son to not go, um, to war. And he's like, cause it, he, he did it to piss me off. And, you know, he's like, I tell him that he'd, he'd die and how much it would like hurt his father and his mother. And it would, you know, the division that formed there would break up their marriage and it was actually a really great scene. Uh, so they like, there was more emotional heft to that than anything that they had going on in the last movie, uh, by far. I thought it was actually really well done. Um, that being said, uh, it's really old Harrison Ford. Uh, you know, he, he does actually, there's surprisingly little action in it, uh, compared to, other Indiana Jones stuff oh, because everything, every time he would do it, he would get hurt and break a hip. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so there's not a ton. Uh, I mean, there is some, but there's not, it's not like a ton. Mads Mikkelsen is great. Even though his character existing makes no sense. Like, when you see uh, when you see his character in the prologue, because that's where all the de aging stuff happens. I thought, yeah, I thought the idea is like we'd go back in time and see young Indy, like old Indy would interact with young Indy. Something, no, there's just a prologue about this particular object, and it happened to be sometime after the events of Last Crusade, um, and Mads Mikkelsen's character. Uh, a, th- a thing happens to him. They have like a fight on top of a train and a thing happens to him where uh, trains would have like those mail posts uh, back in the day. They have those big posts sticking up out of the track and they'd hang like mailbags from them or something. I don't remember. But anyway, there's like there'd be a big post. It'd be bad for you to be standing on top of a train and hit one of them. But that's what happens to Mad Mickelson's face. And not only does he not die, but... It appears to have helped him age incredibly well because he he doesn't look like he's aged at all from the last time Indiana Jones saw him like, you know, 40 years prior or whatever the fuck. Um, 
it's incredible uh, how much getting hit in the face uh, with a big piece of wood while on top of a train, what that just does for a, a person, I guess, Glenn. Uh, so that was weird, but his character was fun in this. And his whole bad guy plan is, weirdly enough, even though he is a Nazi, his plan is to go back in time to kill Hitler. Because... Uh, and not get his autograph like Indy did? No, not get his autograph like Indy did. Uh, no, his whole his whole thing God, is... That is like, still just one of my favorite movie moments. It's Sorry so great. No, it's a like, great just, moment. Oh, I'm caught. He knows who I am. Yeah. All the evidence is right here. It's Hitler. in Hitler's hands. <laughs> All right. I just handed the book to Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Hitler just signs it, gives it back, and keeps walking. Yeah. Oh, that's great a moment. Boy. Um, yep. There was nothing that spectacular in this movie. <laughs> uh, the um, uh, so his plan is to kill Hitler because his thing is like Germany didn't lose the war; Hitler did. Like Hitler was just I a mean, Hitler was just a crappy leader, uh, which honestly is not I mean, a terrible point. It's not, yeah, it's not the not the, the worst, worst revisionist history, but yeah. <laughs> no. So he's thinking like I could do better. Basically, he's just like a Monday morning quarterback. Uh he's just thinking like I could do better than that. Uh so like I'm going to go back and kill Hitler and then, you know, it with me in charge, you know, that's this whole thing. And um what they uh don't realize and I'm really spoiling the best part about this cuz there's kind of like a great moment where um, they have to fly into this rift because uh, it's in the sky, and mm-hmm. there's a great moment. Oh, I know where I know where you're going. Yeah, well, there's a there's actually like a really great moment where, um, and I feel like it's kind of ruined by something they reveal after they get to where they end up. But um, there's a moment where like Indy's like, "Wait, we can't." do this well he doesn't want to go anyway he's been captured they're taking them there against his will but he's trying to talk them out of doing this and then it sort of dawns on him that archimedes in like crafting this device like he doesn't know about continental drift like mm-hmm. you know uh things aren't in the same place that they were when archimedes built this so like you're expecting to go here but you're probably going to end up you know somewhere else because yeah, a couple hundred miles away yeah um but they uh, and they don't end up in like you know World War II Germany. They fly back to Archimedes' time during the Battle of Syracuse, and uh, there. But there's a moment where it kind of dawns on the main characters that the device was always made. Like I feel like the idea here, and maybe I need to go back and rewatch it again or something. But it feels like the idea of this invention wasn't to make it so one could time travel uh, anywhere they wanted to, that Archimedes made it so that someone in the future would find it and travel back in time to meet him. Like, that was the purpose of the invention. Um, Not that it would take anybody anywhere they ever wanted to go, but the whole point of it was always to lead somebody back to him. Um, Yeah, it's like the doors in Monsters, Inc. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so who knows what's on the other side? So you've got airplanes. You've got more than one airplane now flying over the battle of Syracuse, which they think are like dragons or whatever. Cause they have no idea what the hell is happening now. Uh, apparently that doesn't change history at all though. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, 
one of them well, you know. one of them crashes uh and kills the nazis and stuff and um like indiana jones is wounded he meets archimedes uh we should probably talk about um, does somebody famous play archimedes not that i'm aware of yeah okay i just was curious yeah like i didn't it he didn't strike me as anyone familiar uh, I mean, we probably should talk about uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge because a lot of people seem to be really mad about her. Um, do these people, would they be described as a group that starts with an I? I mean, probably. Yeah. Um, I mean, anyone I, like, you know, Red Letter Media talked about it and they, they's, like, no one seemed to have a problem with her. Yeah. So I think people who are not in cells, yeah, seem to be okay with her. She was not absolutely. She's fine. like the greatest thing ever. But she's like, oh yeah, she's a no, fun. No, she little, was. She was absolutely fine as a sidekick in there. Yeah, yeah. she's way better she's than just like she doesn't care. Like it's just about money. Like, yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's fun to have against Indy. Yeah. Whereas Indy kind of lies to himself about the treasures yeah. he steals. I, I mean, she he he has a connection to her. Like he's the daughter of like one of his. Uh, one of his many friends uh, that, you know, you meet along the way. Toby, Toby Jones is like her father. Um, okay. And so there's like a there's like a connection there. They, like he's he's with him. He's like Indy's partner in crime during the uh, uh, the prologue or whatever. So there there is that connection. She's kind of I mean, she's sort of there to do some of the actiony stuff too because you know she's younger or whatever but it's also nice to not have like a, an indie love interest or a girl that just screams all the time they do do some homages to that like they definitely but Karen Allen shows up in it though right like right at the very end okay. yeah to be like I don't hate you anymore for some reason or Yay. You know, we're gonna heal the the heal the wounds or whatever um well, hopefully this is the last Indiana Jones I mean, it fe- well, and as we'll talk about on our next episode, if the box office is to be believed, it seems like that might be that might be the case. Um, Archimedes is played by Nasser Memarzia, so not someone I am overly familiar with. But yeah, uh, anyway, uh, that like it was good, but it wasn't. I wouldn't say it was really good, and I certainly wouldn't say that it was great. Um, but I wasn't really expecting that for Indy, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, not at this stage of the game. I didn't. I expected it to be better than Crystal Skull because I felt like it just had to be better than Crystal Skull. Um, like I don't know how uh, James Mangold is a great director, and I just felt like it would be super duper hard for them to to mess this up he was also a writer on the movie along with uh david cope cope coep kep i don't know how this last name is i think it's kep kep okay um those two are, are writers on this so yeah it's uh it doesn't have at times i feel like it almost captures the essence of the the greatest indie movies but it never quite reaches it it's nothing like temple of doom or even worse, like Crystal Skull. It's leaps and bounds better than Crystal Skull, I think. But it's also, you know, it's one of those things where it's like they really should have stopped after Last Crusade. 
Like, perfect ending. We didn't need any more. It was fine. But at least this feels like a, a makeup for that. And uh, I ended up giving it a three and a half. This won't make it onto the, my best of the year list. But um, although with how weird the movie year has been, uh, I don't know. I can't actually say that 100% uh, because it feels like most of what I watched this year has been in the three to three and a half range. Uh, and there's very few movies in the four or above range. And I don't think I've given yeah. anything above a four and a half this year. So uh, that's crazy. This has been a very like not bad year, but nothing has been truly standing out. You know, mm -hmm. it's been a this has been a, a an okay solid year so far. Yeah, it's and then so Barbie Barbenheimer is gonna you know hopefully blow that up. Yeah. <laughs> the pun yeah, intended yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose uh, alright everybody so that's the podcast for right now uh, head on over to cinemageekly.com where you can check out the archives of the show of course this is a listener supported podcast and there are a couple of ways you can help out there if you so choose we have a patreon patreon.com slash cinemageekly we have the merch store at geeklymerch.com links uh, for those are in the show notes for this episode. Of course, you can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Audible. Just search for Cinema Geekly, hit subscribe, and uh, that way you can join us next time for a mailbag episode of the Cinema Geekly Podcast. Cinema Geekly.